0: on this episode of fantasy nfl today we are trucking right along with only three divisions left to cover but today we park the car right in my backyard with the philadelphia eagles we're entering the nfc east and we are starting it off with a banger so grab a cheesesteak boo the closest person around you and go ahead and predict that super bowl run if you want to cousin nick and i are breaking down the fantasy value with these eagles and it all starts now Welcome to Fantasy NFL Today, presented by Hoop Ball. Today is Thursday, August 12th. I am your host, Anthony Germain, and you can find me on Twitter at the Talking Sunday handle. That's T A L K I N G, Talking Sunday, all one word. And today is a very, very special episode because now we have entered a division near and dear to my heart the NFC East. For those of you that may not know, I was actually born and raised around the city of Philadelphia. I bleed midnight green and donned these heavy, heavy Eagles wings. It wasn't by choice, I'll tell you that. So on this episode, we'll be talking all things fantasy about the Philadelphia Eagles to kick off that NFC least, yes the least, and rightfully so, as the division finished with a combined 37% winning percentage going 23-40 and between the four teams. The Washington football team took advantage, if you want to call it that, winning the division with a losing seven and nine record just some really gross really poor performances from all four teams but here we are in 2020 it's a new year and as the saying goes any given sunday anything can happen in the nfl so let's kick it off with my favorite team the philadelphia eagles where tempers run high the fans tell you how it is no player is ever excused from not giving it 110 percent on sunday or the city of brotherly tough love as i like to say will let you hear it because just like rocky balboa no punches are ever held back with this fan base but first i'm bringing in another very special guest to help me break down these philadelphia eagles and their fantasy value like myself he's a diehard fan one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to the fantasy world. If you like what you heard from our other guest, John L. Sace on the Buffalo Bills episode, I think you're really going to like what you hear from this guy. He is the co-host of the Face Mask Fantasy Podcast that you can find on YouTube. And if you're like me and you like to go a little bit deeper than your standard half-point PPR 10-12 to man leagues, I like a dynasty best ball or keeper league, then you're really going to love this guy. These guys are putting out quick hits on players that you may have never heard of, but are still important or crucial pieces to how they may affect the players you're drafting. You can find him on Twitter at NII underscore Payne. He is Nick Payne, or as we like to call him in our friend circle, Cousin Nick. Nick, welcome to the show and go birds.
1: Yes, sir. Go birds. How's it going? Thanks for having me
0: it's going well it's going well over here at hoopball we're expanding into the football realm here um seems it's a
1: good time for that month away
0: yeah it's a good time for that we're getting close to the season you know in august I'm hoping that more and more people are tuning in here getting ready the the average fan which on this podcast we kind of like to hone in on more of the average fantasy football player not so much you know I, I love what you guys are doing over there at the face mask fantasy podcast you deeper stuff and that's you know that's me I'm all in on that oh yeah but for for this for this podcast purposes only, I think a lot of people are starting to hone in here, starting to do their research. Yeah, so you know, and here we are with the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Let's do it. Let's talk birds. Well, it
0: wouldn't be a year in Philadelphia without the drama, right?
1: <laughs> not at all. That's our bread and butter.
0: That's our bread and butter. Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, all the drama. It's not a it's not a normal season in Philadelphia without that drama. But I like to kick off these episodes at the top with any changes to the front office or coaching staff because not enough people who play fantasy pay enough attention to this. Everyone sure. knows the new players that are coming in, you know, whether it's through free agency or the draft, but not enough people pay attention to these coaching changes because with new coaching changes comes new schemes and with new schemes comes different player usages and different outputs affecting the players you're drafting. So let's start there. So the team cut ties with Big Ball's Doug, Doug Peterson, just three seasons after winning their first Super Bowl in franchise history and brought in Nick Sirianni to be the new head coach. Sirianni is an offensive guy. He spent his last two years as the Colts offensive coordinator under former offensive coordinator from the Eagles, Frank Wright, during that Super Bowl run. This hire to me was just a little bit you know out there in left field as are most Eagles hires. Um, but you know last time with Doug, it worked. But again, this hire to me, when I heard Nick Sirianni, I was just like, you know, who the hell is that? Did you, <laughs> did you feel the same way or were you, were you like, okay, I can, I can roll with this?
1: Um, at first, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not too familiar with this guy. Uh, and then it clicked. I was like, wait a minute. The Eagles have this tendency where they hire from a place of nostalgia. Like Doug Peterson comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree, now Nick Sirianni comes in from the Frank Reich coaching tree. Both guys who had success in Philly obviously read a little bit more extended, but Frank Reich has the Super Bowl win, so something to be said for that. Um, Interesting little tidbit, though, about Sirianni. Past six years, dating back to his time with the Chargers, and that includes time in L.A. and San Diego, when he was either an offensive coordinator or a position coach, an offensive position coach, like you said, four out of those six years, that offense was top ten in the NFL.
0: Did not know that.
1: Now he got some. Primarily, he got to play or he got to work with Phillip Rivers uh, as a quarterback, and then he got one year of Andrew Luck in 2018, which was actually his comeback Player of the Year award. So had some pretty good quarterbacks to work with, but top ten is top ten. Who
0: was the head coach when he was in LA?
1: So it was Anthony Lynn most recently, or when Nick Sirianni was in LA. Uh, yeah. Who was the head coach? I think it was Mike McCoy.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so then if the offense was top ten under Mike McCoy, that's saying something.
1: Yeah, I would say it's pretty impressive, Marks. And they did a lot of it by throwing the ball. Like, yeah, they've had some, they had some success running the ball, but that was the strength of those offenses was the passing game.
0: Okay, so the other coach that I think is important to talk about here is Shane Steichen that they brought in to be the offensive coordinator, who mm-hmm. we think was, we think he was calling the plays for the Chargers last season because with Anthony Lynn there, who's also an offensive guy. You know, we're really not sure. And that team was criticized for its poor in-game, you know, play-calling decision-making that they were doing. We saw mm-hmm. that Chargers offense, what that offense was able to do with Justin Herbert last year. And even if, you know, things go the way the char- how the Chargers went, or I'm sorry, even if the how it went last season with the Chargers, how they weren't winning games, we should still see an uptick in, f- in the fantasy department based off of what we've seen from that Chargers team last year. So I have two questions for you. First, what are some things we should be expecting out of this new co- coaching staff when it, when we're talking about the Eagles? And second, who might we see benefit the most from this new coaching staff?
1: So, like I mentioned, I think the strength of the, of the offenses that Sirianni worked with, whether he was the offensive coordinator or a position coach, and he worked all over the offense, wide receiver coach, quarterback coach. He He had multiple roles on multiple teams. I think it's going to be the strength of the passing offense, I think they are going to – you know, the Eagles have been notoriously a team that throws the ball a lot, uh, Mm -hmm. dating back years. I think that continues. I think they're going to continue to throw the ball. I think Sirianni is going to be the one to call plays. I think Steichen, you know, he got credit for working with Justin Herbert last year, but to your point, I don't think too many Chargers fans were upset to see him go. I think they wanted to see a full overhaul of that of their own coaching staff. So a little bit of an indictment on Steichen. So to that point, I think Sirianni – might be the the guy to call plays. I think that lends to the passing offense as far as they're going to throw the ball more than they're going to run and naturally I think that plays to the potential for, uh, from a fantasy perspective for Jalen Hurts.
0: It's interesting you say that because I looked at more of the statistical data from the Colts over the last 3 seasons and they seemed to be more of a balanced attack but it was like they they still they still threw the ball and ran plays at a high rate but it seemed more balanced and it seemed to be predicated more off of that backfield and the run games. It was more of a dink and dunk passing game, short intermediate passes over the middle, a lot of screenplays mixed in there. So I do think, I do agree that the passing they're, they're going to throw the ball a lot. I'm just not sure if it's going to be like this, you know, this air raid offense or like an Arizona Cardinals, you know, type or.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think that's the case, but With those Colts quarterbacks, they had Phillip Rivers at the very end of his career. They had Mm -hmm. Jacoby Brissett in what was basically an emergency situation when Andrew Luck retired like the week before the season began in 2019. Um, And then again, 2018, Luck was back and healthy, but maybe not as healthy as he would have normally been coming off of surgery. I think he he had shoulder issues, all types of upper body issues that could have you know, affected maybe the depth of target. So Hertz, you got a young guy with again maybe not one of the, high, the one of the biggest arms in the league, but he proved he can uncork it a little bit. So I think they may try to take advantage of that a little bit more this year. Yes, to your point, not to the level of say the Arizona Cardinals, but I do think they're going to give Hertz as much of an opportunity as he can to show what he can do.
0: Right, and what concerns me is not so much Hertz's ability to throw the ball downfield. He had some accuracy issues last year. Yeah, and with that being said, let's let's get into Hertz here. Let's let's start there with Hertz at the quarterback position. You know, he did have um, accuracy issues, but regardless of any way you slice it, I think this guy's going to be fantasy relevant due to mainly his dual threat ability. He, you know, Mm -hmm. we only got to see a small sliver of what Hertz is capable of last year. We saw him replace Wentz during that Green Bay game in week 13 and get benched at the end of the season by, uh, for, in favor of Nate Sudfeld the last game of the season, which was a complete tank job. But oh, yeah. Yeah, but the three games that we actually saw Hertz operate as the starter and play the entire game, this guy averaged 26 points per game. Like I just said about his accuracy, his completion percentage was low. But he did throw for 847 yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions during that three-game span. But the real value with Hertz is his ability to crush you on the ground. 238 rushing yards, one touchdown during that three-game span. And with this new offense and what I believe is going to be more, you know, heavily leaned on that rushing attack, you know, I think that's only going to benefit Hertz. to your point, like you were saying earlier. I think this is a real golden opportunity for Hertz to really strut what he's capable of
1: yeah I completely agree. I think Hertz has top seven fantasy finish upside at the position. Wow, yeah, um he's well, that's not great. oh yeah, I mean, it could be it could be fun from a fantasy perspective. The jury's out on if he's actually a good NFL quarterback, but that's Correct. not the conversation we're having. um the thing with Hertz is he's not a tier one quarterback if you were to break the quarterbacks down and kind of rank them. He's not a tier one quarterback, but he's got tier one rushing upside that alone. It makes him a value. If he improves even marginally on the accuracy issues that you pointed out, he's a league winner at his ADP. Point blank. Uh, QB7 in the four-game sample, and remember the situation that he was inheriting last year. Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. was walking into, when he drew his first start against New Orleans, he was walking into a dead-as-dead-could-be 3-9 and nine Eagles team. They were completely out of it, decimated by injuries, and it was a it was a bare bones cupboard of talent on offense that he was working with. You know, wide Miles receivers
0: said, were were lawn chairs and trash cans.
1: Exactly. Right. They pulled guys off the street essentially, no disrespect to those guys, but it right. wasn't exactly a high octane offense, you know, and a strong wide receiver room. So for Hertz to have the QB seven finish over the course of those four weeks, including week seventeen where he didn't Get to finish the game. We're talking about a guy who, yeah, in a pretty bad spot, did pretty well. Right. Uh, so, yeah, if he if he a little bit a like marginal improvements from an accuracy perspective, he's a league winner at his ADP.
0: And I and I I can't say that any better as an early to mid eighth round pick, especially if you're somebody that likes to wait on your quarterback and not grab a Patrick McCol- Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen early in your draft. Right. It, you know it is. Depending on who you talk to, I think it is still smarter to wait on that quarterback. And if you can get this guy in that eighth round, league winner, like you said. Absolute absolute league winner. And that's under the assumption that the Eagles aren't going to make a Deshaun Watson trade with Houston anytime soon.
1: That would obviously change the dynamic, and uh, gotta be mindful of that because I would put their chances at greater than Anytime time these types of rumors swirl around. You can't give it more than like a five or ten percent chance of actually happening. But the Eagles are on the higher end of that of one, being one of those teams to actually make it happen. Uh, that changes the entire conversation. But for now, with Hertz as the guy, the Eagles are going to sink or swim with him. There is no backup worthy of getting playing time over Jalen Hurts, barring injury. This is his team, and right now, for the present, he is one of the best quarterback values in redraft.
0: Well, here's the thing: what if you know it's August? It's August 12th right now. What if we get closer to our draft? Some people like the draft one week before the you know the kickoff, or maybe up until the kickoff. What if it's, you know, it's confirmed now, Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter. Do you think we see his ADP climb a little bit here from that eighth round up to maybe the fifth round? Because it was higher, I think, before all of this, you know, all these rumors started swirling.
1: It was and higher. is it
0: worth, if he, if he does go that high, sorry to cut you off, if, it do, if he does go that high into like the sixth or fifth round, is he still worth taking, do you think?
1: Well, then he's approaching, you know, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott territory, and I would... You know, the fifth round, I would say no. But you're right. His ADP was a little higher than it is now. I think it dipped, not just with the rumors swirling around Deshaun Watson, but also probably took a little bit of a hit because Devontae Smith suffered a knee injury. So, you know, there was a little bit of pain. Oh, no, his number one wide receiver, right? Right. So there were a couple of things that happened at the same time that I think pushed this recent downswell, you know, for him, where he lost a little bit of ground as far as ADP. I do think that comes back up. Uh, again, assuming he's the starter, assuming there's better vibes coming out of Eagles camp. I do think it will climb. I don't think it'll climb so high. I think you're talking about the seventh round kind of being the limit, in which case if, if that's the spot and I don't love the other options around me and I need a quarterback, I would still be fine with taking Hurts.
0: Okay, and if he does get traded to Houston, are we? how are we feeling about him there?
1: So I think then his ADP falls again just because there's going to be this expectation where he's going to be less effective. It's worse talent. It's a worse overall team. But I think I might still take the shot. If he's two rounds, say two, three rounds cheaper than he is now as a Houston Texan, I'm still interested.
0: Yeah, but I think at that point, I'm taking him as my backup, my QB2, to see you know sure. what happens as the season goes on.
1: And that that's a fair assessment. You might want to have a guy who's a little bit on more of a stable situation. A uh, guy that just, quite frankly, has a better team around him. But guys on bad teams produce too. Th- that's all. Especially young quarterbacks who have to overcompensate for a lack of talent that the rest of the team has. It's never a bad option to go for a young quarterback having to do more than he should have just to keep his team afloat because the rest of it, the rest of the roster stinks. So I would still be interested in him there. But I understand. Not wanting to maybe ride with him as your QB1 right away, just given the overall circumstance that he would be stepping into if he were to get traded to Houston.
0: Right. And actually, to your point, look at a quarterback like Deshaun Watson when, when he took over the Texans, you know, X amount of years ago. It was the same thing. He was on a terrible team, run by a terrible coach in Bill O'Brien, but, you know, he really elevated that team and took, you know, you know boosted the fantasy value of everybody else around him. So I do think there is something there again if that does happen i'm going as a i'm going with him as my qb2 with potential to be a qb1 which is is just better value in the long run um, Yeah. so let's move let's move on into what i think ha- has been the second worst wide receiver core maybe behind the new england patriots last year i mean this eagles wide receiving bunch was just dreadful and honestly it's been pretty brutal since 2018 After that Super Bowl run, it's just been downhill with the wide receiver talent. And it never really, you know, came back up in any shape or form. But it seems like the Eagles said enough is enough, you know, and they attempted to fix this position for the second straight year now. They took Devontae Smith, the Heisman winner with the 10th selection overall out of Alabama in this year's draft. He just absolutely destroyed the competition, which by the way, was SEC competition, not just your normal Mac competition or anything like that. He had over uh, 3,100 receiving yards and 37 touchdowns over his last two seasons with the Crimson Tide. The talent is there, and I know I'm about to catch some flack for this, but you already know, Nick, I don't like his size, and it concerns me. He's 6 foot tall, so that fits nicely into my wide receiver requirement. I like my wide receivers between 6 foot 6 foot 3. But at his pro day, it's the weight. He came in at 166. 166. For somebody that's six feet tall, I mean, that that's small. And small scares me in the NFL. That low And BMI. Nick, I know... I, well, <laughs> here's the thing. I know you're like me. You like big-bodied receivers, too. I mean, we both gushed over Chase Claypool last year. The GOAT, as you once called him.
1: GOAT pool. Love that guy.
0: Big-bodied rec- receiver, physical, will go up and catch that ball at the highest point. Am I wrong about this? Am I wrong about him being 166 pounds?
1: <laughs> um so no i I don't think you're i don't think it's so outrageous to be concerned about a top ten pick at that size, and he did already sustain an injury in training camp, which not a great start, but to your point, he dominated s e c competition, and yes, Alabama was without Jalen Waddle last year, he missed most of last season to injury, so Smith had more put on his plate, but guess what? He came through in a huge way, in a monstrous way, and again, against the best of the best competition that college has to offer. So I think he can do it. I think he can succeed. I am a little worried about him as a rookie being a team's wide receiver one when the other options are so uninspiring. It's highly likely defenses will be able to key on a guy like Devontae Smith in the passing game, and if they have an above-average corner, Could make it difficult for him, especially if it's a guy that you know can play man-to-man, can you know can jam him at the line, because obviously, not obviously, but Smith's Devontae Smith's greatest strength is his route running, and if he can't get in and out of his you know breaks, he can't get set up, he gets you know poor off the line of scrimmage because of an upper echelon cornerback, might have a tough time. I do think the talent there is there though for the long haul. He's got the you know he's got the pedigree. He has the he. You know, he dominated at college. These are all pretty strong indicators of a guy who can have success at the NFL level. Will he be a star? That's tough. That That's that's kind of difficult. I think he might just be a tier below guys like Jamar Chase and even Jalen Waddell uh, as far as long-term NFL potential. Uh, and the Eagles sorely need to get him some help so that he doesn't have to do it all, especially young in his career. So... I wouldn't be surprised to see the numbers that he posts relative to some of his draft mates, fellow rookies, uh, and other young players at the position in general. Maybe not be up to snuff, maybe not be on par. But again, the Eagles have not done a good job developing talent over the past couple of years at the wide receiver position. So, good point. He's kind of a, he's a little pigeonholed, but that's out of his control. Uh, so, I'm willing to go the long road here with Devonte Smith. I'm not going to expect the world from him year one. If he struggles, if he takes his lumps, I mean, it's easy to say now ahead of the season, but it's not an unfair expectation that he could struggle a little bit, again, relative to expectations year one. He'll have his weeks, but it could be a little up and down.
0: Regardless of what I just said about his weight, I like him. Um, I just came out (laughs) with an episode. I just came out with an episode of my top 10 sleepers on the season. Uh, He's in there somewhere. I like him because he is stepping in as the team's clear number one option. That's for starters. With him being the number one and most talented receiver on the field, he's most likely going to be the first read of every passing play, which means he should generate a high amount of targets. And like you said, it's because the the talent around him is just god-awful. I mean, maybe there's still something there with Jalen Rager who we'll get to in a second, but so far what we've seen from Rager hasn't been great. And another thing to talk about, uh, his college ability, what you said, his his best ability is his route-running ability. I would also argue that his best ability is his ability to separate. And the ability to separate at the college level usually translates really well over to the NFL level. So he's not my favorite rookie coming out this season. I That has to go to my man Elijah Moore with the New York Jets. But Devontae Smith is by far my second favorite it's just, again, it's just a matter of the health. I'm not worried about him getting crushed by a defender. You know, he's too, he's too fast. He's too smooth. He's too quick. You know, he might take a hit one of these days. I'm sure he will. It's inevitable. But I'm not worried about that aspect of the game for him getting hurt. It's more of just his own durability. It's, oh, Devontae Smith is out of practice again with a sprained ankle, or, oh, Devontae Smith will miss week three because of a pulled hamstring, and on and on and on we go. It's just like we already, like you said again, he's already hurt. He has a sprained MCL in a non-contact drill. I'm excited for this guy. He's probably going to be the best receiver the Eagles have had since Terrell Owens to be honest with you as in the long run like you're like you were just alluding to but it's Oof, just a matter so. <laughs> of yeah it's just a matter of availability and like they say the best ability is availability so all this being said I guess what we're ultimately getting to here is his current ADP is a late seventh round pick. Do we feel comfortable taking Devontae Smith with the injuries, the you know, availability concerns, or just being a w- rookie wide receiver as the number one option? You know, in the late seventh round, what, we're looking at him to be maybe our wide receiver three or four? I kind of don't think that's bad value, honestly.
1: I'm going to cheat a little bit on my answer here. It's a bit of a cop-out, but I'm going to okay. do it anyway. Uh, I love that ADP for best ball. Uh, because I don't have to ever predict his weeks, and I do think there's gonna be, he's gonna be taking his lumps. There's gonna be some up and down weeks. He'll have a week where he goes six catches, seventy-five yards, and a score. But then he'll go. They'll ha- he'll have his two for fifteen weeks as well because he's a rookie. It happens. Not you know, it's not yeah, foolproof, but, but it happens. But see,
0: I usually say that for the Boomer Bus guys. I'm sure you know this about me already. Like the Hollywood Browns of the world, I think they're you know greatly suited for best ball because you really can't predict the boom the boom games versus all the bust games exactly that come. right but i think it's i think it's different with Devontae smith because he is the number one receiver he does have the height and the skill set to to play at a consistent basis we've seen it at alabama oh yeah so i don't know i think i have to disagree with you there with the best ball theory because just because it's almost like allen robinson on the bears like he he's pretty much the only option in this group that we're going to rely on.
1: Uh, well, he's Smith's Devontae Smith's got a long way to go to get to, to get to well, a yeah, point not, like that. I, I understand. Uh, but um, yeah, I would just say, I think in the seventh round, I'm a little concerned in a redraft situation just because I'm, I'm a little concerned about the week to week consistency this year. That's fair. But I think he's going to be uh, good. I'm, I'm high on Devontae Smith long term, but for redraft in his rookie year where there is going to be as much on his plate as there is, uh, I, I'm a little concerned at that ADP. If he falls a bit, then I'd be all over that.
0: So Nick is passing on Devontae Smith in the seventh round. I might be willing to gamble on him as my third or fourth wide receiver because I don't have to play him right away. I can kind of see how it plays out. And you know, he has potential to boom, in my opinion. But let's move on to the wide receiver number two on this team. That's Jalen Rager. And this one still stings, Nick. I know it stings for you. It still it stings does. for me. Last year, when the team passed on Justin Jefferson for this guy, it actually double stings because the Eagles botched two top tier talented wide receivers two years in a row when they passed on DK Metcalf. For JJR Sega Whiteside the other side. So they that's did. something that us Eagles fans are still, you know, carrying on our shoulders and dealing with every time we see a highlight of DK Metcalf freak athlete blaze down the field or Justin Jefferson in his rookie season just completely light the league on fire. I want everybody to remember that we are left here with Jalen Reger and J.J.R. Sega Whiteside.
1: Not great. Not, Not the best. great at
0: not great at all just atrocious drafting at the skill position lately from the eagles front office but maybe it's not fair to criticize rager just yet we shouldn't throw the gavel down and judge right off the bat here but because you know he was banged up a bit last year dealing with those injuries uh he finished the season though with 31 grabs 396 yards and one touchdown over 11 games so i mean that is that's not good that's not good at all
1: no, the production wasn't there for him last year. He flashed a little bit. And I can, when I say a little bit, I mean, I can count the number of plays that I remember seeing him make and go, oh, okay. Obviously, Rager's got a lot to deal with right now. You know, being, being that guy who was taking over Justin Jefferson and having a down rookie season, suffered through injuries, like you said, had to deal with abysmal quarterback play, uh, mm-hmm. like the rest of the Eagles did. But that was working against him. Again, I obviously you know some rookies. This was fine, but for others, I can only imagine it had to affect them. The off season last year was weird, just because of COVID. So I can only imagine mm-hmm. how difficult it was for rookies to get acclimated with the offense or the deep to get acclimated with the team, get acclimated with whatever their playbook was, the coaching staff, and then being able to actually get on the field. There was a lot working against the rookies last year. Some shined, some didn't. So yeah, I I think it's very fair to. Offer Rager the opportunity for a mulligan uh, as far as whether you're a fan, whether you're you know a fantasy drafter and you're looking at a guy like him in the later rounds uh, as an upside play. I do think that's fair. I think he still has his straight-line speed. I think he could still absolutely be the team's punt returner, so he's got an extra little layer there uh, as far mm-hmm. as a role. And, right, if he can stay on the field, they have no choice but to start him. He's gonna play the other, you know. He's gonna play on the other side, or at the very least, they'll put him in the slot. And again, I do think the Eagles will pass a good amount. So Rager's gonna be on the field.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the straight line speed because I think that's about the the limit of his speed is that straight line because he was he was criticized coming out of college that you know he didn't really have this great separating ability in college, and then lo and behold, as the NFL season went on. You heard a lot of people criticize him in these NFL games for not being able to separate. And everybody wanted to say this guy was a burner. And, you know, maybe it was due to the injury. I don't know. But there's already some issues with him this year. I'm I'm just kind of backing away from. There's rumors out of camp that, you know, he's dealing with somebody that was close to him that passed away. And, you know, you can't really knock anybody for that, obviously. But we haven't seen any highlights, any big catches. I mean, there is nothing coming out on this guy out of camp. So how, how are we supposed to get excited about his second year when it already seems like it has a, a dark cloud following him? So his current ADP sits as an early 13th round pick. You can get him for nothing. Really mm-hmm. cheap here. I don't know. For me, I'm battling back and forth, back and forth in my head. Is it worth a late round flyer? Um because like you said, he is probably going to be the number two. The talent below him is not great. So as that late 13th round pick, maybe, but I don't know. Are there better options that we might want to gamble on in that 13th round?
1: Of course, at that point in the draft, it's almost like pick your poison or, you know, take your take your favorite guy, take your favorite flyer, take your favorite streamer. They're all kind of in that same boat. Um I will say for Rager, though, I have seen a couple of reports coming out of camp that Sirianni's been on him. The head coach has been on him. And I never played football, but there's a mantra in football. There's a thought process in football. Don't be worried when I yell at you. Be worried when I'm done yelling at you or I'm not yelling Mm. at you. The point being, the expectations are gone. So, wise words. They've been. I I cannot take credit for that. I've I've seen that through the inter the the interwebs. Um, But the i the the idea here is that I think the Eagles coaching staff sees that there is potential in in Rager. I think they've been hard on him for that. I think they want to. You know, I they're pushing him to succeed. I don't know if it's mental. Obviously, he had some off, not off-field issues last year, but he kind of got into it with fans on social media. He was making cryptic messages, which is not uncommon for a professional athlete, but obviously not something Mm -hmm. you want to see from a guy who had yet to prove anything at this point. So I think all this is to say, the Eagles clearly haven't given up on him. Uh, So again, after a pretty rough rookie year with some things out of his control. I would say you could do worse with a, you know, you're talking about a free pick 13th, 14th round for an upside wide receiver. You know, it gives you an opportunity. You're not worrying about late, you know, late flyer running backs at that point because you're drafting your stable early. Wide receivers are all about quantity later. Get as many as you can and see which one works out. What, you know, how many more uh, options are there in the 13th round than a guy who should probably start? That's all I'll say. It's
0: a good point, and I think... Just the reason why I keep going back and forth is because here's like a positive thing I think about every now and then. It's that, you know, last year when the Eagles drafted Rieger, they obviously, I think they thought higher of him than what he, you know, he's turned out to be so far. He's not going to ever be a true number one wideout. I think it's safe to say that. But with that being said, I think with Devontae Smith now in the picture, that's going to make life on Rieger much easier. I agree. So, I think defenses will be forced to hone in more on Smith, making it easier for Rager to get that, get open underneath, um, out of that slot, or, you know, beat the coverage downfield with that straight line speed that you were talking about. So, that's another thing because I think with the lack of talent with the receivers, you're asking a lot from Rager, and he's not a number one receiver. So, I think that's going to help. And then during his last four games, Hertz did target him a lot, especially inside that 10 yard line. So there is some familiarity there with Hertz already, you know, that chemistry that was sort of building, you know, while Hertz was finishing out the season and, and Rager was, you know, kind of starting to pop off there at the end, you know, that's the positive, but I'm still, but yeah, to your point, man, it's, it's, uh, as a 13th round pick for somebody that should be starting and on the field at all times, it's, it's, a, it's, it's actually a great pick. You could do
1: worse. That's all I'll say.
0: Right. You can. You can. You could probably draft a bum tight end that will get you three catches for 33 yards. And right. That's, that's and that's the, the top yeah. Of that.
1: And that was you doing your zero tight end target and or strategy and it not working out or taking a team's fourth running back who it's just like, well, maybe all these guys will get hurt. But then you, I, you can never bank on anything like that happening. So why not take a right. chance this on a guy like- who
0: should see the field? This is like grabbing a Justin Jackson this late in the in the draft. Right. Who, Just
1: take a guy who's who you're guaranteed to be on the field or right. should be. And I,
0: I, I couldn't agree more. So let's move on to who the possible third wide receiver is for the Eagles here. And, you know, we're looking at guys like Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward, John Hightower, Quez Watkins. Um, I've heard some heat coming out of camp over Watkins, but I mean, let's be honest. These guys aren't going to be fantasy relevant at all. The guy I'm most interested in, I think, is Travis Fulgham because, I mean, last year, he is actually one of the most, if not the most, interesting wide receiver in the league. Last year, he started, I think, four games, and he absolutely tore the league apart. Like, he had 46 grabs, 524 yards, and three touchdowns on the season, but most of that came from this four-game span. Yep. And in fact, he led the entire league in receiving yards during that span. Like, the crazy part about all of it is he was just benched by Doug Peterson and the coaching staff, probably the dumbest move, one of the dumbest moves Doug Peterson has ever made during his coaching tenure with Philadelphia. I don't care who you are. If somebody is that hot, you don't bench them. And it was all in the favor of Alshon Jeffrey, who has been a big pain in the ass for this team, huge thorn in the side (laughs) for this Eagles team. Like, the guy is getting older. He's clearly on the downside of, of his career. It just seemed foolish. The thing with him is, I think he has potential to be a really good wide receiver, and his undoing wasn't even his fault. He was just benched. He was taken out of the game.
1: <laughs> yeah. So,
0: like, he didn't burn himself out.
1: No. Um, the team decided they were more interested in playing the ghost of Alshon Jeffrey uh, f- for reasons unknown. Um, yeah, this guy's interesting. He's going to have every opportunity because it's wide o- It's a wide-open camp battle at this point. Uh, I think he... He's a he's a big body, so he's kind of different from a lot of what the Eagles have in camp. Uh, he might I would have to double check this, but he might be their biggest guy when you factor in both, you know, height and weight. Uh, so he might be right. Got a chance to, you know, maybe he doesn't start on the outside, but he could be. He could be the if you want to put Jalen Rigger in the slot, you know, run your three receiver sets. Why can't Fulgham be the other guy on the outside uh, aside Devontae Smith? Uh, So he's absolutely got a chance. Uh, Hightower, I I haven't really heard much on. Greg Ward, I mean, Greg Ward's a bit of a folk here at this point. Salute to Greg Ward. He has come up, one, out of nowhere, and two, in some unbelievably random but wonderful, like, random spots, big spots, made big catches for this team over the past couple of years. But, uh, I mean... He well, that's was, the thing with Greg Ward and, and maybe squad. some of
0: these other guys. It's just that I think those guys are maybe better for the real life in-game situation. Like Greg Ward, like he'll come up with the big catch, crucial catch when the team needs it. But as far as a fantasy production, you know, th- these guys mm, aren't no. anything. The thing with Folgum is, though, like I said, he, I think he has potential to be a good receiver. And if my theory with Devontae Smith's ability to stay healthy is true, then I think Fogum might have a lot more value and as an undrafted player going in this draft or in fantasy drafts, you know, he's somebody that we might want to, maybe not draft on draft night. I think it's kind of foolish to waste the roster spot on draft night on Travis Fulgham, but he might be somebody we want to star, add to our watch list, and just keep a close eye on this Eagles receiver situation if anybody were to go down with injury. Because, you know, that's been the the forte of the Philadelphia Eagles lately. It's just injury after injury after injury, and it seems like it's been that way for three or four years now. So I think it's definitely worth... Starring and keeping an eye on somebody that we might have to add off the waiver wire.
1: Yeah, I think he's a perfect uh, waiver wire target and a guy that you can leave on the wire, especially if you have FOB, which, by the way, if you do waivers for your league, switch to FOB. Um, <laughs> he's a guy who you can yeah, use all, a, use a this, minimal amount of your budget on to, a, to, to none acquire.
0: None of this can continue shit anymore.
1: No. Make it These FOB. People- yeah, make it the free agent acquisition budget. Everybody's got a fair shot at everybody. Nobody gets burned for randomly dropping a guy and then he suddenly becomes appealing five minutes later and then you can't put the claim on him because you were the last one to drop him. Just switch to FOB. All that's done. All that's gone. Shout out FOB. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I also hate the players in your league that will sit on their number one waiver claim in continuous rolling waivers for, like, weeks. Right. It's week 13, and this guy still has the number one claim, and it's like, dude, like, when are you ever going to pick somebody up?
1: They're they're holding out. They use it, yeah, they use it because they're chasing points. It's, uh, that rarely works out. It always makes sense to attack the waiver wire early in the season, not later, so, again... Just You can make that guy look foolish by saving all of his fob until week 14, and then it's just like, congratulations, you've wasted your time on the waiver wire this year.
0: <laughs> yeah, or you could be the guy that spends $75 on somebody right off the bat and have no money for the rest of the season.
1: If you did it on James Robinson, though, that could work out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, we're derailing. Uh, Travis Fulgham, absolutely a guy worth pe- paying attention to on the, on the waiver wire. And in best ball, he's a perfect 18th-round pick, especially if you got Jalen Hurts.
0: Couldn't agree more. And let's move on to our next position, a very controversial backfield. I've been in a couple Twitter spats over this backfield, and I'm hoping we're on the same side here. (laughs) But I'm going to – I'm thinking I'm going to let you take the wheel on this one first. I kind of want to get your opinion. Let's start with Miles Sanders. He's currently coming off the boards early in the third round. So for most people taking him at this point in the draft, we're looking at him as being maybe our RB2. How are you feeling about this? What's your temperature
1: on Miles Sanders? I only like Miles Sanders as my RB2 if I went went wide receiver heavy to start the draft and he fell. Uh, I am very much out on Miles Sanders right now at his ADP. Here's the thing. The Eagles are, one, notorious for running a running back by committee for years now. They've been doing it for a while. Under Doug Peterson, they did it. Sirianni ran multiple running back by committees in his multiple stops. The only time he really didn't run a committee was last year when the team, and it took him till the middle of the season to do it, started leaning on Jonathan Taylor as you know exclusively. But it wasn't even it wasn't even exclusively, that's not the correct word, because Naheem Hines was still very much involved in that offense. So there was still a pseudo-committee in there. I think the Eagles are going to continue that same trend. Miles Sanders will be the early down guy. He'll be obviously involved in, pe- in passing down situations, but they brought in Curry on Johnson. They brought in Jordan Howard. They drafted Kenneth Gainwell, and Boston Scott is still there. I just think there's a lot of work here. Maybe not for a guy like Howard or Johnson, but there's still other two scatbacks in this Eagles backfield that I know they like and I know they're going to want to use, a la Naheem Hines. Uh, Mm -hmm. who Sirianni is familiar with. I think this is going to be a situation where Sanders gets the majority of the work. I'm using quotation marks, majority of the work, but it's maybe 60% instead of 75 or 80%. It's not going to be bell cow work from miles Sanders. Therefore he's going to have to be perfect to spend draft capital that high on a guy like that. Uh, I think the situation is working against him. I think the offensive line is, They were okay last year. They get back some guys this year, but they're older and coming off injuries. You have to question whether they're still at the elite level that some of these guys like Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks have been. So I'm worried about Miles Sanders, not to mention Jalen Hurts is going to vulture plenty of rushing production. I'd much rather take a stab on a guy like Gainwell super late.
0: Okay. And to your point, that O-line, I'm actually really high on this year. I know they're getting older But with everything coming out on Jordan Maialata, right? Is that how you say that? Jordan Maialata? Maialata, yeah. It sounds like he's going to be an absolute dominant force at the left tackle, or at least I'm hoping he is. We get Lane Johnson back, yes, older, but still on the younger side of older. Uh, We get Brooks back and, you know, Kelsey, yes, older, but Kelsey's still performing. So I do like the offensive line as a strength of this team. To your point on Sanders, I agree 110% on everything you just said. I'm so happy that you are also out on Miles Sanders at his current ADP. Uh, Boston, Sorry, Miles. Scott sorry sorry miles maybe next year (laughs) boston scott and rookie kenny gainwell are great options as pass catching backs as well and like you've already alluded to nick seriani and that offense in the in the past with the colts has leaned on a running back by committee pretty much you got to remember too last year marlon mack went down before he went down he was being featured pretty heavily in that offense yes he was so not only with the, the pass catching backs taking receptions away from Sanders, you also have, again, like you said, Carry On Johnson and Jordan Howard, who, you know, who knows who actually makes the team at this point. But especially Jordan Howard, at this point, he's a goal line back. Right. Like he's that's what he is. He's a north and south bruiser. He's hard to take down. He's not somebody you're gonna start on a on a football team nowadays, but he's definitely someone you, you know, put right into right into his belly on the on the goal line, and he's gonna score that touchdown. So at this point, if we're taking receptions away from Miles Sanders, and Miles Sanders isn't going to be on the goal line for the touchdowns, you're asking me to waste a third round capital on a running back that needs to make up all of this production and volume as a pure runner. And like you said, he might be the quote unquote majority lead back, but is he really going to get more than ever 15 touches a game?
1: That's going to be a concern for him. He's basically going to need to hit on some home run plays that he did last year, but also at a better rate uh, for him to pay dividends at his ADP. I I just think there's a lot working against him. I think not only is he potential to get, you know, the the catches are also, there are potential to come down. And also, Curryon Johnson was probably brought in to pass block. So that's just even more third down work that's going to be taken away from Miles Sanders. Uh, I'm worried about him. I much prefer a guy like, yeah, Gainwell is fine. Boston Scott, I think, is a great sneaky play uh, for for, for some running back depth uh, because if Sanders also has any Mm -hmm. injury concerns or if he were to miss time because that also happened for Sanders in 2020, Boston Scott becomes a gigantic value. I won't say RB1, but... You're talking about a guy you could get at the end of drafts who will suddenly have a huge role as a pass-catching back and the veteran on this team to gain well as far as the running backs go. So I I like those guys a lot more. Sanders, the capital, is a little high. I need to see him do it again at a bell cow level for me to jump back in, and right now it's just not where I am.
0: Yeah, it's, it's too expensive. I think if I could, and this isn't going to happen, but if I could get Sanders as my flex, I'm more than happy to throw him in as a flex. But sure. you know, I think he's I think he's a nice back. I but I never thought he was special. Like he's a nice back, but like is he really like this special specimen that's gonna tear it up every Sunday in and out? I, I just don't think so. And on top of that, he's been nicked up a lot. He's mm-hmm. missed a few games with lower body injuries too. So, you know, there's just a lot going on with this log jam, injury concerns. Receptions being taken away, goal line carries being taken away. Like you said, he's going to have to break out and and hit that home run to to really, you know, give us points. And on a fantasy level, I'm not I'm not willing to do that. It's 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 too inconsistent. I don't know. I think I'm I think I'm less I'm less uh excited about these guys than you are too. Boston Scott, I get it, and Kenny Gainwell, but between those two, I feel like those two, if anybody, are gonna split almost the same role. So it's Again, you just don't know from a fantasy perspective what we're going to get on a consistent basis. So I think overall, I'm just out on every single running back on this team.
1: Yeah, the likelihood of it being a crapshoot is high with Sanders being able to return RB2 results. I would say a good amount of fair amount of weeks. But again, that's not a player you want to spend a third round pick on. Uh, you can get probably 65 to 70% of the value from somebody else 5 6 spots later. That's just that's right. how I feel about Sanders. I'd much rather have one of the wide receivers that is going around his ADP. He would need to fall uh, you know around and a half, round round and a half for me to be interested.
0: Right. And I and I I feel the same exact way. Again, if we could get Sanders in that 5th round or that 6th round and I could send and I could start him as my flex come oh, yeah. in Then I'm interested. (laughs) As of now, I'm out. I'm more than out. I'm running ten miles down the street away from this guy.
1: Yeah, (laughs) not with. I mean, not with a ten foot pole. Uh, Am I? Yeah, yeah. I'm
0: running miles away from Miles Oh no, sorry, Miles.
1: The play on words (laughs) working against you.
0: Let's move on to the final position of this team. It used to be a major, major strength of this team. Talking about the tight end position, it still might be you know, a strength of this team, but things are changing here. It seems like Dallas Goddard has taken over that tight end role. I know Zach Ertz is still hanging around in the background. He still might get traded depending on injuries that may happen during the preseason. But as of now, Zach Ertz is still in the fold. Dallas Goddard current ADP as an early seventh round pick. He finished second on the team in yards with 46 grabs, 524 yards and three touchdowns flashed a lot of potential in the second half. To be honest with you, I think, As an early 7th round pick on a tight end, I still think that's a hefty price. As I always say here on this pod, I think the tight end position is just a complete barren wasteland outside of the big three. You know, your Kelsey, Waller, and Kittles. And I think if we're gambling on a tight end, the 7th round is just a little too early. I think there's better tight ends you can get maybe 3 or 4 rounds later at this point. You know, if you're going to grab Goddard here, you know, you're passing on guys like Cortland Sutton. Uh, There's still melvin gordon that should still produce somewhat of starter numbers i know he's going to probably be splitting with javante williams there in denver but at least to start the season melvin gordon should get a fair amount of catches but there's still aaron Rodgers, debo samuel robbie anderson damian harris and our guide Devontae Smith is going in the seventh round. There we go. I think, you know, a lot of these guys in the seventh round have much more high-end potential than than taking a gamble on a tight end like Goddard. Like, why not wait three or four rounds later and grab a Mike Gesicki or an Adam Troutman? You know what I mean? Like, the talent, I think, in the seventh round is just too purposeful to be going for a tight end here.
1: Yeah. um, The tight end, your strategy at tight end should be one of two options. You are in a position where you don't have to reach for either Kelsey, Waller, or Kittle, or you punt the position. That is, that is what I tell everybody, especially this year, when it comes to the tight end position. If you're able to get Kelsey back half of the first round, or Waller in the second round, or Kittle in the third, that makes sense. Other than that, you should be looking 120 picks into the draft for your tight end. Get two cost-effective guys, maybe three, uh, but two will probably suffice. And just hope for the best. The difference in tight end points from the tight end five to the tight end fifteen is consistently we're talking fractions of a point each week, maybe a couple of points per week here and there. The discrepancy is not a lot. To your point, just making middle round tight end draft picks essentially you're lighting that pick on fire. There's there's no right. value and, to be had there.
0: And people are gonna do it. Right. That's gonna, the crazy and let part. them.
1: And let them. That's fine. Uh Goddard showed a bit of a rapport with Hurts last year. So there's going to be people that take that angle. You know, Hertz might lean on Goddard again. The, there's the the talent at wide receiver is thin. Goddard pre- presents a uh, a solid middle of the field, viable safe target for a young quarterback. Bigger target for a young quarterback. So obviously Goddard has some appeal there. It's just he doesn't make any sense at his ADP. Just like most of the other tight ends in the middle rounds. I would just I would rather be stacking wide receivers at that point. Yeah, I might look I might look for my quarterback depending on. The format that I play, I'm looking at anything else other than tight end. And, again, to your point, Ertz is still there, could still have a role, completely caps Goddard's ceiling. Again, just further rams home the fact that at his ADP right now, it's it, there's way more risk than there is for a potential reward.
0: Yeah, it's almost like we should be looking at the tight end. And I mean, almost like we should be looking at the tight end. Like we look at our kickers and defenses. Like we wait almost. till the very last round to draft our defense or our kicker. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we should be taking the tight end maybe like two rounds right before we start taking our kicker oh, yeah. and our defense or maybe two tight ends at that point because like you said the point differ- the the difference in points is just so minimal that every time i see somebody take a tight end in the middle of the draft or or the idiots that take kickers and defenses in <laughs> round 10 or 11 i just look at that as an opportunity of of me just saying oh my god look i just moved up a spot in the draft yeah i just moved up another spot in the draft i just gained That's some capital land. exactly so i just did a mock draft today and there was a run on defenses in round 10 and then somebody took a uh, justin tucker at the end of round 10. And after I counted all the defenses and kickers that came off the board in those mid rounds, and this happens in real redraft leagues, by the way. I actually moved up an entire round.
1: Thank and you for your donations.
0: Exactly. So as this early seventh round pick, I love Dallas Goddard. I think he's a very talented tight end. You know, they took him in the second round out of South Dakota State not too long ago. So there's some, there's some talent there for sure. It's just seventh round is just way too early go get the guys the mm-hmm. receivers or the running backs that have potential to bloom mm-hmm. they have potential draft a running back as you know your fourth or fifth option that could take over maybe like a Javante Williams I know he's going a little bit earlier but somebody like that that has potential to take over and really kill it down the stretch especially yep. when you get towards the playoffs or a receiver like Devonte Smith who might you know start off slow but as he gets more acclimated to the speed of the NFL becomes a real force for you down the stretch. Don't waste it on a tight end early.
1: No, there's no need. You're basically lighting draft capital on fire if you do that. It's either Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, or or punt. Just punt the position, load up on wide receivers, get your running backs early, get your wide receivers late, get a couple of guys at tight end. I like, you know... I'll just throw some names that I like, 100-plus picks of the draft. I like Gerald Everett. I like Jonu Smith. I like Adam Troutman. His ADP has climbed a little bit, especially with the mm-hmm. news that the Saints are, you know, it's a barren wasteland for them as far as wide receiver. You want to talk about bad wide receiver rooms. Um, yeah. <laughs> Adam Troutman is there. Um, and then, like, there's some, like, super late guys on the waiver wire. I'm, I'm not going to bore you with all of those picks, but, like, a, like a Jonu Smith, an Adam Troutman, a Gerald Everett, Great opportunity that they have where you can, ha- like, you can have them. Se- as far as a starting potential position player goes, you can have those guys for free. And meanwhile, you're talking about you'll have deeper wide receiver talent than 70% of your league mates at least. Uh, that's the game I would rather play.
0: Right. right. And even like these other tight like Irv Smith is going that late. I'm not high on Irv Smith, but at least he's, you know, we've seen some tight end production out of the, the Vikings. Yeah, a little uh, bit hunter Henry's another option there in new england um i do like Johnu smith more you know people are getting more hot on evan ingram too but
1: yeah uh, he, he had another drop tonight he had another drop tonight so <laughs> so
0: all right well did we miss anybody on this team any sleepers or anybody else else that's maybe worth mentioning
1: no i don't think so i mean to your point earlier by the wide receivers keep an eye on Kez Watkins uh, making some plays in camp uh, flashing has I don't know if he's the talk of camp but uh, Kez Watkins making some plays making you know raising some eyebrows a little bit not a guy on your draft radar right now but could be a deep look as far as the waiver wire goes um, and especially see how this offense shakes out there's there are jobs to be won here so crazier things have happened that would be my deep deep sleeper for the Eagles but I think that's about it
0: Well, you got to take it from Nick. He knows his stuff, especially these Philadelphia Eagles and the fantasy world. Uh, So let's start Quez Watkins, too. Let's put him in our watch list.
1: Put him in the queue.
0: Put him in the queue. All right. Well, that's our show for today. I'd like to thank Nick for coming on the pod to help break down these Philadelphia Eagles. Again, Don't forget to go check out his awesome Face Mask Fantasy podcast on YouTube. Some real good content and information on there if you're looking to go a little bit deeper than your standard or half-point PPR leagues. Short, quick, and precise hits leaves out all the hoopla. Straight facts. Great stuff. Go check it out. Nick, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Anytime.